Welcome to this week's episode of Latchkey Movies, the podcast where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. Today we are going to talk about the 1959 Disney classic, Sleeping Beauty. My name is Sarah. I am the mom of a four-year-old boy. And I am Briar Harvey, and I am the mom of an 18-year-old girl, an 8-year-old boy, and a 2-year-old boy. So this is our first Disney classic. It is. Which is kind of interesting because it's almost considered the last Disney classic. To an extent. It's the last of the traditional fairy tale stories that Disney did until 1989 when they did The Little Mermaid. Because this was apparently a huge flop. So let's talk about that. Tell us, I mean, we're talking about, okay, what year is this? 1959. 1959. So we're talking about 1959 economics, but still, give us the numbers. I don't have the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Says the girl who always has the numbers. What happened, Sarah? Oh, like anything, it gets harder to find that kind of information. It does. The older it gets, I can't imagine trying to track down box office receipts from 1959. Right, and then you have to, like, factor in inflation and... (laughs) It's fine. I'll give you those details in the mini episode. Okay. If if you can track them down, I swear to God, I'm not going to hold you to it. It did say that it had initial mixed critical reception and underperformance at the box office. I'll, I'll take that as bad. <laughs> we'll take it as bad, right? It yeah. was bad. It didn't do well. This is going to be a divisive one for us. Yeah, we'll just lay that out right now, because Sarah <laughs> likes this movie. And I have a lot of um, nostalgia feels for this movie. I under- I absolutely accept that this movie, subject matter-wise, is problematic. <laughs> well, and, 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 and I hate this movie on multiple levels. Yeah. Like, as a freshman in high school, we did the stage production of Sleeping Beauty. Okay. And at the time, I was a first soprano. The the whole soundtrack is shit if did, you're so a did first you do... soprano. Oh, yeah, all the high notes in the choral melodies. No, I wasn't Aurora or anything. But well, no, did you do, like, the Disney... Adaptation. Oh, okay. Yes. The Disney adaptation stage production, which exists, I don't know who wrote it. It's terrible, by the way. Really, really terrible. But it includes all of these songs. And yeah, man, there's so many high notes. Well, it's not surprising to me because the woman who... um, voiced, well, did the singing voice of Aurora in this movie, is an operatic soprano. Mm-hmm. So, at that time, at that point in time, that's where Disney was drawing talent from. As Stage. someone who, at that time, could hit a high E, this was not a fun performance <laughs> piece. So, yeah, I hate it just for that alone. But, trust me, there's plenty I can complain about <laughs> as we go along. <laughs> It'll be fun, guys. I promise. It'll be fun. So, let's talk about the cast first. Um, you mentioned Aurora. Mary Costa. 
She's the operatic soprano mm-hmm. that I previously discussed. <laughs> and then we have um, Bill oh. Shirley. Well, so those are the voice actors. At right. this point in time, Disney was also using performance models for all of their animation. So I feel like it's noteworthy to mention who those people are because for Aurora, the performance model was Helene Stanley, who is the same person they used for Cinderella. So the princess... Okay, okay. So we're talking about hand-drawn animation here, which does feature some pretty significantly different characteristics. Because it was all hand-drawn, yeah, they actually had to have a person on hand who they could use to model. So, okay. And she was also Cinderella and Anita Radcliffe in 101 Dalmatians. Okay. For the physical model. Mm-hmm. And then we have Bill Shirley as um, Prince Philip. He was... <laughs> also... Oh, oh. In the film version of My Fair Lady, he was the dubbed singing voice for um, the guy. <laughs> the not Rex Harrison guy. Right. Jeremy I, Brett is the name of the other actor that he was dubbing in for. Yeah, but that's not the character's name. And I right. can't think of the character's name. <laughs> we're really... We're on the ball tonight, guys. Awesome. It's, it's going to be great. <laughs> His uh, So Prince Philma- Philip's performance model then was Ed Kimmer... Who I believe I looked at, and he's he basically didn't have a very notable um, acting career. No, but he spent eleven months in a POW camp during World War Two. See that? Yeah, he was shot down over France. He. Oh, <laughs> but no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Very notable. He, he was. The uh, he was in Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. The is that uh, the one with the gremlins on the the wing? Right, with Bill okay. Shatner. Yeah, the uh, Twilight Zone episode yeah, Twilight where Zone. the guy is on the airplane and he sees things on the wing and he tells everybody that there's something tearing apart the wing and nobody believes. Him. And nobody believes him. So he was, I guess, one of the not believers. It must have been. I don't know. I I mean, I think that's one of those things that I've never actually seen the episode, but it's such a part of, like, pop culture that you know exactly what happens, because it's been redone a thousand and one times, and, like, The Simpsons. And, I like, know, whatever. it has, but it's really, it's something that all good geeks should see the I original. I do like The Twilight Zone. Because the original is actually... It's it's scary in a different way. It's not about the it's it's not about the the guys on the airplane. No, it's about the other people. It's about the other people right. disbelieving you. Yeah. And and none of the remakes ever quite capture that feeling of paranoia mm-hmm. in exactly the same way. I mean, this is Bill Shatner who could speak sing his way to <laughs> glory in anything really but he did a really good job in yeah twilight zone okay let's get back to what we're actually supposed to be talking about 
uh, Sleeping Beauty. We're looking now at Maleficent, who was voiced and modeled by Eleanor Audley. She was on Green Acres. She was also the... Um at least performance model, and probably the voice too, if you hear it, of Lady Tremaine, who is the stepmother in Cinderella, right? Uh-huh. And Madame Leota, who is the, um, if you've ever read in the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland or Disney World, there's the scene with the seance. Madame Leota is the person, or the woman, in the um, crystal ball. Very iconic uh, classic mm-hmm. Disney, like, traditional Disney character. She, this is a woman who got around, and she did a <laughs> in lot. In the acting in sense. The, <laughs> well, actually, it's relevant to her character and the time, I think. But but I'll, I'll complain about that later. <laughs> All right. We end up then, um, King Stefan was voiced by Taylor Holmes. Um, There's no performance model no performance listed model. for the rest of the cast, and I'm not really sure what that means in terms of whether they just made those people up off yeah, their Yeah, they heads, just kind of made it them was, up. They grabbed Joe in the hallway to come in. You can kind of tell with old style animation if a performance model isn't used because they tend to become more characters yeah i was gonna say bubble like but character caricature works well actually because they're not quite right they're people but animated people Mm -hmm. versus the realistic animated people that you get when there's a performance model and i do think there's a it's pretty easy to see the visual difference you see it in the way they move in the way that they walk in particular if there's not a performance model they tend to do that animated hot bounce thing Mm -hmm. so but the remaining characters are relatively not don't get a whole lot of screen time i would say so all right queen is it lee or leah i don't know that i ever i don't know that they ever pronounce her name in no either way she's played by the glorious verna felton who was also um let's see what's her best is it going to be Aunt B? Was she Aunt B? I think so, wasn't she? No, somebody else was Aunt B. Oh, no, that was um, one of, one the, of fairies. the fairies. That was the f- performance model for one of the fairies. It was Flora. Flora. Which you can tell. All you have to do is say that, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, she looks exactly like Aunt B. Aunt she, B from the Andy Griffith show. Right. Who, I don't know, we, you and I are probably aging ourselves by saying that we even <laughs> know what that is. That we and, grew up on Andy Griffith in yeah. black and white sick days in the I 80s. old school oh, Nick yeah. at Night back mm-hmm. before it was like Full House, back when it was like Green Acres. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Mr. Ed, yes. Yeah, yeah. I grew up on all of that, yes. Yeah. So... She was, um, let's see, Mrs. Jumbo, 
Dumbo's mother. She was the fairy godmother in Cinderella. She was the queen of hearts in Alice in Wonderland. Um, Aunt Sarah in Lady and the Tramp. Um, Flora. Oh, she was Flora, too. Yes, she okay, was Flora. Okay, so she yeah, was this both. This is why I'm doing it now, because she was both. She was Flora, the Red Fairy. The voice of. The voice of, and mm-hmm. the voice of Queen Leah. Okay. Um, and But she was not the... The model. model no. Right. She was just the voice. The yeah. model was Aunt B. Yeah, which is obvious. Yeah, it kind of is. And she was also Winifred the Elephant in The Jungle Book. So quite a long, illustrious voice career. Also, she was married to the voice actor who did Pluto. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) It's really interesting how, like, oh... How interconnected? Yeah, all the Disney. Incestuous? No. Yeah, I didn't even want to say that, but I wanted to say more like, I mean, this is the studio system, mm-hmm. so that that has something to play into mm-hmm. that, where, you know, actors had contracts with studios, so you're going to see, like, them continue to do roles for the same studio, and I'm not sure if that's what that is. Um, I'm not really familiar. I'm sure, with- because she was all over Disney Studios stuff. She was in The Real McCoys, uh, Wagon Train, uh, The Flintstones. Which so, was Hanna-Barbera. Oh, that Disney. was Hanna-Barbera, but that was later. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, um, she was... I love Lucy. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of I mean and it's tough because those were actual film roles mm-hmm. which is different than the work that you got contracted to do as a voice actor which were frequently for long running contracts and you just kind of came in to work and read one day and mm-hmm. you didn't know necessarily what you were going to be reading for until you got right. there. Um, okay, so she was, that was Verna Felton, the voice of Queen Leah and uh, Flora. And then we have um, Barbara Jo Allen, who was the voice of Fauna. That's the green one. She was, uh, let's see, uh, the sword and the stone, but as a scullery maid. So, so I bet she probably got her start in radio serials and her voice was well known yeah. at the time. And you and I are just not old enough to, to catch that. So Flor or Fauna, we're talking about Fauna was, um, performance modeled by Madge Blake and she was, um, leave it to Beaver. Um, I guess Margaret Mondello. So that's not the Beaver's mom. That's Beaver's best friend's mom. And she was also in Singing in the Rain. And then she has a ton of uncredited roles. On Jack Benny... And yeah, she was she was a pretty fairly well-known actor, I think, at the time. 
Finally, we have Meriwether, the Blue Fairy, who was voiced by Barbara Luddy. And it looks like she got her start in radio, radio and yeah. silent film as well. Um, but she was uh, the voice of Kanga in Winnie the Pooh. And the voice of Lady in Lady and the Tramp. Yes. Uh, let's see. We have Mary Weather's performance model. That was Spring Byington? I'm probably screwing I'm that up. for it. But I, I think it's Byington. Um, she was... She, it says she was a Metro Goldwyn Mayor player. So basically she belonged to MGM. Mm-hmm. From the 30s to the 60s. She won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Penelope Sycamore in You Can't Take It With You in 1938. I'm assuming it's a movie. <clears throat> yeah, what? <laughs> of course it's a movie. No, I'm kidding. What? I just have never heard of it. You've never heard of You Can't Take It With You? No. I, it's I, a Frank Capra movie. Oh, well then this Jimmy actually Stewart. is a gap in my film education. What? Yes. Jimmy Stewart. Lionel Barrymore. Come on. Oh, I know all of those names. I have just <laughs> somehow missed this film. All That's right. all I can tell you. Guys, um, I'm we're probably boring you in this episode, huh? I, well, <laughs> this is what they get for Disney classics. I don't know what to tell you. This is no different than what we do for any of our other movies. It's just... It's old people that are all dead now. <laughs> and all born in like 1880. <laughs> I, this one, this one's going to be a good time. <laughs> I'm pouring the wine now. That's the, so, because we're getting into the fun stuff now. We're actually going to start talking about the movie. So. <clears throat> so we're done. There's not, it's not a huge cast. This movie. No, th thankfully, since they're all dead. It's it's not a huge cast. Right. Let's continue on with All right. So credits. For me. Oh, we have more? No, 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 no. The credit roll. We start with the credit roll sequence. Was this was one of the few that actually did the title roll sequence. I mean, when did they stop doing that? I don't know. And that's something we talked about looking into. Um I'm not sure when Disney stopped doing that or when it just stopped being a thing at all um this one's beautiful all the handwritten cards like it's just that's a skill that is lost to the times the watching the pages of the book flip, yeah because then I this mean, past the credits that this one opens with like live action essentially right of a storybook like a gilded and bejeweled storybook of sleeping beauty it's so beautiful, and you can tell that those pages were hand-drawn oh, yeah. and just hand-calligraphied. Uh, um, I guess that would be the appropriate word there. Yeah, yes. I would I'd say calligraphy. <laughs> Hand-lettered. There we go. There you there go. You go. So the, one of the things that really endears me to this movie is the art style. I'm just absolutely in love with it. Um, to me... It is like 
iconic classic Disney. And I feel the same way about this movie when I watch it as I do when I walk into like Disney World or Disneyland. Um, and that can be the production designer for this movie was Evand Earl. And there's like a, a quote from Walt Disney where he mentions that up until this time, they would hire somebody like Mary Blair to create the style for the movie, but then it was handed off to the animators, and by the time the movie was completed, it looks nothing like the storyboarded images. So in this movie, he made like a concerted effort to continue the style throughout the production of the, fi of the film by hiring Evand Earl to be the production designer for it. I gotta say, it does show. It's beautiful. Visually, this movie feels a bit like being wrapped in a warm blanket. <laughs> there is... The colors are inviting. The 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 edges. I mean, the lines are inviting. They're yeah, just very. The way this is drawn is definitely meant to pull you in. And it's surprising to me that it didn't do well at the time, but it is not surprising to me how beloved it has remained, in spite of the story. Honestly, the, yeah, the problematic subject matter. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the reason why I think this movie stands out is because this is actually the last film that Disney used hand ink for. So at this time, the everything was animated and then hand essentially painted. Right, right. The cells were hand painted. Mm -hmm. But after this and going forward, starting with 101 Dalmatians, they used a new technology called xerography. Xerography? Xerography. It's xerography. <laughs> right. Um, which uh, kind of automated that process. And so you lose a lot of the richness. You might know it as a mimeograph. You know, if you're really old, when you were a kid, you got worksheets with purple that ink. That smelled amazing. <laughs> I'm not the only one who liked that smell, if you man. Like it's the smell, so nostalgic yeah. to me. But if, if you, you like the smell of permanent markers, uh -huh. you would like the smell of those. Mimeograph was <laughs> so they were copied, but it was very specific kind of ink. This uh -huh. is the same process for animation. So it would copy every cell sequentially with the same color. Okay. That's that's how that works. Instead of going through and having to hand paint right, right. countless cells in a movie. Right. I mean, hundreds of thousands yeah. in some of these movies. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we start then with the 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 board book flipping the pages of the book and it tells the story of King Stephen and Queen Leah welcoming the birth of their daughter, the Princess Aurora. And there are trumpets. <laughs> the heralds. The, right. The the musical <laughs> score during this sequence is pretty bang on, I have to say. Yeah. And they are inviting um, the kingdom to the christening, christening, where she'll be betrothed to Prince Philip as a six-month-old infant. <laughs> 
And this is where I start losing my mind. Okay, I gotta tell you guys, when we talked about this movie, Sarah was like, I would really, really like you to try and watch this from my <laughs> perspective so that you can see why I love this movie so much. And I'm like, really, really, I'll try. <laughs> I did, too, but there are just so many things where this stuff pops up. I realize we're talking about a fairy tale, but we're also in the 1950s, and we couldn't modernize it at all. She's getting engaged. She's not even six months old. I'm done now. But, like, historically... No, historically, for royalty, for a princess, this is bang on. This is accurate. Right. If this was, like, a historical, like, (laughs) reenactment movie of, Mm -hmm. like, a very specific historic time, a true story. I can't think of, like, an example of one, but, like, I don't know. Let's say some English (laughs) monarch and that scene happened, you wouldn't think twice of it. No. Because that's just how it was. Problematic as it is. Problematic as it is. Yeah, well, and still is. Because, I mean, in in some countries, we still use our female children as barter and tools for marriage and property and alliances this is it's not Nobody's like saying it's okay no it's <laughs> we're and 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 that's fine it's just a difficult pill to swallow when we're talking about her betrothal yeah and she hasn't even been christened yet right that's all well, i mean in his defense, I don't think Philip's too keen on it either. Uh, no, I, to be fair, the young Prince Philip is not impressed with the drooly baby. <laughs> so that was at least a nice touch. So we have the blessing then, right, of the fairies, which here again has me going. Because please do tell us. What do the fairies bless her with? Uh, beauty and song. Flora, so Flora and Fauna go first, and they bless her with beauty and song. Okay. Let's assume, just for a second, that Maleficent never shows up. What do you think Meriwether was going to give her? Um, book smarts. Yeah, no, she wasn't. No, she fucking wasn't. What do you think she was going to give her? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, who knows, propriety or the ability (laughs) to throw a good party? Certainly not brains or bravery or, you know, any of those boy things. Like, like, God forbid we give her, I don't know, ambition. Mission. Oh. <laughs> well, you know what? Thankfully, she didn't give her those things because she gets interrupted. <sighs> I'm trying. I swear to God, I'm trying. She does. She gets interrupted by the witch, Maleficent. No, the evil fairy, Maleficent. Okay, but Maleficent is, in her own right, very much an archetype of the strong Mm -hmm. woman 
who we love to, well, not to put too fine a point at it, but burn at the stake. Yeah, but that is exactly people, who Maleficent is. People fucking love Maleficent these days. So, I'll be honest. I have not seen the Angelina Jolie movies. It's, I have. It, it's been well, on my the first list. One. They're on my list. I just haven't gotten to them yet. Because I gotta say, I do approve of retelling Maleficent as an actual yeah. human character. And they I, do. I think her motivations are probably a little bit more... They're rooted in, like, reality a little bit more. Um, yeah. She didn't just not get invited to a party. Right. <laughs> and I think that as an archetype, we continue to have Maleficent-like characters and caricatures in film where a woman with an opinion... A woman with a strong sense of, well, we'll call it propriety here, although that wasn't it at all. But a woman who is strong in her own right without a man mm -hmm. is Maleficent. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we have villainized that woman for a long fucking time sure. for no real reason. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for me to, I mean, because in this, you're supposed to hate Maleficent. She's the bad guy. But there's a part of me that still, even without knowing her new and improved backstory, well, no, has a even, lot of admiration for her. Even before the Angelina Jolie movies, people loved Maleficent in recent years. Like, she is like, she is. She's a badass. She, she's, she's the most popular Disney villain by far. And Disney is really pushing their villains right now. Like, that's, like, that's especially around Halloween, that's, like, their big marketing thing is their villains. And, again, I would argue that Maleficent is only kind of a villain. She is an archetypal villain, but her true motivations, even in the original fairy tale, are a whole lot more mysterious. Right. But in this one, she's just angry because she wasn't invited to a party. Right. Thanks, I mean, we've all, we've all been there, right? Like, oh, yeah. You, you see all this... your friends on Facebook at a party and you weren't invited and you're like, fuck all them. <laughs> I mean, there are Instagram stories <laughs> going on about that right this minute. I'm certain of it. All right. So we have Maleficent swoop down and issue her benediction that Sleeping Beauty... Uh, I'm sorry, Aurora will prick her finger and on a spinning wheel and fall into a deep sleep. No, she'll die. Oh, she'll die. Oh, that's right. says she'll die. She'll die. And then Meriwether changes it to sleep with yeah, her. she can't stop the curse, but she can, like, lessen it, I guess. Right. That's how fairy magic works, supposedly. If, if if we're applying magical laws, this does actually make sense. You can't undo magic that has already been done. You can only modify it. Okay. Which she does. And then they burn all the spinning wheels. <laughs> because who needs fabric? Or... I, I don't know, clothes. Don't know. They'll just import it. This is apparently a rich... Yeah, kingdom. okay. 
Um, but you did forget to mention that Aurora will fall into the deep sleep, but only to be broken by true love's true love kiss. spell. <laughs> how, no, true how, love's kiss. True love's kiss. How dare I forget the significance of true love's kiss? Mostly, mostly, so, I was overlooking it. I would like to um, defend myself and say that I don't love this movie for any of that. Like I never did. <laughs> I know it's I not know. anything I liked about this movie. I don't actually know what I liked about this movie beyond the way it looked, other than maybe that this was like... <clears throat> so Little Mermaid came out in 89, mm-hmm. and I guess maybe I was seeing these movies before Little Mermaid came mm-hmm. out, and of like the Disney classics, this is the one that I like the best. See, the thing is, is that you're not <clears throat> alone. My kids love this movie. Oh, my it's- son wants nothing to do with it. He thinks it's really scary. Oh, that's interesting. It may just be an age thing. One of my business besties has a four-year-old who is apparently enamored of this movie. So it it may just be yours thinks it's scary right now, but it'll be fine. She was telling me in particular what he likes is the scene at the end with the magic and all of the colors going out of the window. And that Mm -hmm. is just his absolute favorite thing in the whole (laughs) wide world. And the crow. And yeah, it's giggles, giggles, giggles. Yeah. So visually, this movie is very compelling for kids. And despite my... It's not like I'm saying you can't watch this movie because I like to use these as kind of a good way to start conversations about social issues. Sure, yeah. But I do think that this is a movie that kids do like to watch. It's just visually compelling. Right. Maybe it's the music, but I don't even think it's the music. It's it's just visually. It's really not much of a movie. It's only an hour and 16 minutes long. It's really short. So there's like no fluff in this movie at all. And that might be another reason why kids like it, because there's no like long drawn out monologues or anything like that. There's action. There's songs. We go from one scene to the other, to the other, to the other. And that's about it, you know? Like, it's not... We're not going to lose their uh, attention span on this one. You know, I think, too, that story-wise, it is relatively pretty tight. I mean, we go from the christening to deciding that Snow- that Sleeping Beauty can't stay home. Yeah, at the castle. At the castle to... I love when the fairies are... Um, they're in the... Uh, what is it called? The um, Where you keep the, the wine on an altar. <laughs> it's got a name. Oh... Well, anyways, it's it like does have a name. it's like a thing in Catholic ceremonies. It I don't know what it's doing here because I don't I don't think they're they're Catholic. I don't think they are either. But n- <laughs> but they have one of those, and they're, they're in it, and that's where they're like coming together with their plan to protect her because they make themselves tiny. Right. And like at one point they like they all go into the chalice and then they all come out and I'm like, where are you going in that chalice? There's not enough room for three mini fairies. <laughs> But we go from the mini chalice to the woods to a 16-year-old Aurora, right? Right. There is, story-wise, we get all of the necessary exposition. There's There's no montage of her growing up. It's just infant 16. And 
we expect the kids to come along because it was 1959 and we actually expected, I don't know, our kids to be able to make the intuitively yeah. in those days. Right. We don't expect that now, by the way. Let's be really clear. <laughs> now we have the montage. But in those days, we actually acknowledged that kids were smart <laughs> and could think about things. Sure. So we would go from the baby, who we did not actually see that much of. Baby Aurora see... is an idea. She's not an actual character that makes noise or does anything. She's we a don't... bundle of blankets. Short of, like, her scene with Philip in the woods, there's no Aurora in this movie. No. She's an idea the whole way through, yeah, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, she's probably, like, the... Like, I don't know, if you went through and counted, like, lines of dialogue, cut out her song, mm-hmm. how many do you think she has? Not that many. <laughs> A dozen, maybe. Seriously. Yeah, over under. I'll go and check. I'll find the script and we'll get it for the mini-sode. Because... I don't think she has many. There's there's the stuff in the house, right, when yeah. they're talking about Philip. But, I mean... <sighs> If we wanted to talk about this movie fulfilling the Bechdel rule, oddly enough, it passes because we have the fairies not talking about a man at a number of occasions. So it qualifies. Yeah. Which is why the Bechdel rule is pretty much crap when it comes to assessing whether or not a movie actually has good merit. This movie would pass the Bechdel test. Instead, we have conversations about... Cakes and dresses. Right. By those stand, but that's the standard. Yeah. Cakes and dresses are perfectly appropriate. It doesn't matter that they're fighting over cakes and dresses, <laughs> or the color of said dress. That doesn't it's matter my favorite, at all. It's my favorite long-standing Disney fan argument: is whether the dress is blue or pink. Oh, let's hear it! Come on, give it. I'm a blue. I'm full on blue. You're full on blue. It's blue for most of the movie. Mm -hmm. It ends at pink. But it should be blue. But it's blue for most of the movie. It's blue. And anytime I find any merchandise with Aurora in a blue dress, I'm probably going to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I am not one of those Disney people who has like a house full of Disney crap at all. I don't. I have a couple of like non-Disney artists, Disney prints. In our bathroom, we just have, like, a wall of, like, random pop culture prints. And that's it. Like, I don't throw Disney around my house. But I do stand pretty hard for Blue Dress Aurora. (laughs) (laughs) If I could wear any Disney princess dress, it would be Blue Sleeping Beauty. Which, She has the best crown, she does have It's like the most the wearable crown. crown, right? Like, I feel like most people could, like, pull it's, that one it's off. It's not big or ostentatious. Uh-huh. Yep. It's just a nice little gold crown. Mm-hmm. And her dress is great. Like, I mean, we I feel like we all have nice shoulder, like, collarbones and right. shoulders. So it emphasizes something that a lot of people can really, like, get behind. Right. You know? The <laughs> collarbone area. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I want it. I want one. Okay. I'll, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. Sarah wants a There's blue a guy on sleeping. Instagram oh, who I makes know. a version of it that, like, um, changes. 
So like pink and so this guy, if you, I wish we'll 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 link him in the show yeah. notes because I don't actually he makes remember the most his amazing name. dresses. He's like he's a dad, and I think that's part of his name. <laughs> it is part of his name, and the dresses change. So yeah. they he start- does like a. Cinderella one, where right? she goes from, from like her pink to rags. blue, yeah, mm-hmm. or no, Cinderella, oh, from, Cinderella her rags from the rags to, to the dress, riches, yeah. yeah. And then we do have a Sleeping Beauty dress that goes from pink to blue, yeah, yeah. They're great, yeah. I, like I also them. like there's versions of the dress where it's the in between dress uh-huh. that I've seen. That's another great one. Which does beg the question: Why couldn't they just agree on purple? And how come they never make a green? What's wrong with those colors? Because Fauna just doesn't care. I guess Fauna doesn't. She's too busy busy with the cake. cake. (laughs) Speaking of the cake, there's um, uh, an Instagram baker who made, like, the version of the cake being held up by the broom. Oh, I gotta see that. It's great. We'll link that too. Also in the show notes, folks. Okay. So we have... But maybe that's why people love it, because there's all of those, like, very, like... Details, you know, like the very iconic things about this movie: the the spindle, the um, the cake, the argument over the dress, Maleficent and the dragon, like the dragon version of Maleficent, Mm -hmm. Philip, like racing and then fighting through the thorns. Like those are all things that are very like ingrained in this movie, and I think maybe that's why people like it. I don't know. Well, we certainly haven't talked about how Stefan and Hubert were, you know, marrying off their young children at, and then having a party about the future heirs. So we jumped ahead a little bit. Um, we missed the whole scene where Philip and Aurora meet in the woods. And she sing doesn't a song. Know. It's great, yeah. but they don't know. They fall in love in like two seconds because 1959, right? And <laughs> they they don't know. I mean, at least it took Anna and or Elsa and Kristoff. Kristoff, no. Which is the one? Well, Hans. Hans. It took Anna and Hans a much longer song to fall in love. Oh, a whole song <laughs> instead of half the song. Yeah. So, Jesus anyways, Christ. so Aurora and Philip meet each other. They don't know that they're like betrothed. He doesn't know she's a princess. She doesn't know he's a prince. But they all fall details. In love. Who yeah, needs them? They fall in love. There's a, there's a uh, a really um, fun owl that I wish had a bigger role. And in like today's Disney, he totally he totally would have the the owl in the dress in the <laughs> yeah. in the cloak and the boots. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'd have seen so much more <laughs> of him. He'd have had a name. Yes. He'd have been yes. I agree. He would have talked. Oh yes. There's no way he didn't talk in today's <sighs> version of this. <sighs> I hope they never make like an actual live or action version of it's this. on the list babe you what? know that right like how oh. could they even if no, they've already the done list. the maleficent movies like Disney, i don't know stop. but this is on the list just stop they're Anyways. all on the list i i don't know i don't know and after our lion king debacle i don't know if we're actually gonna do any more reviews of the live action i just don't know that it's worth our we have time yet to like one well and th- <laughs> because we have yet to see one that's worthwhile mm-hmm. i mean and 
Cinderella was not terrible. I like Cinderella. The but Cinderella remake was not bad. Yeah. I think they did a good job with the story in that one. But I've not been super impressed with any of the others. Despite my actual... I, I haven't seen Aladdin yet. I, I don't know oh, about yeah, Aladdin. I haven't either. Well, we'll we'll hold out judgment yet until we see that one because we may decide that one's worth a review. I don't know, but mm-hmm. at this point in time, the live actions are just a waste of time. Yeah. But this one's coming. Just be aware. This one is on the list. I I I think the thing I saw had it in 2021. Hopefully they change their minds. Yeah, they won't. This is Disney. This any way to make money off of something. I mean, whatever. So while they're meeting in the woods. Yeah, while they're meeting in the woods and falling in love and you're being very generous here on the timeline. The fairies are trying to make a dress and a cake and then they finally give up and use their magic. And the dads are talking about, you know, the future grandkids, because that's... <laughs> well, that must be after, because doesn't Philip's father talk about how he met some girl in the woods? No, 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 no. That's after they're having their whole thing, because Philip comes and says, I can't marry her mm. because I met some girl in the woods. So while the fairies are fighting over the dress color, that's how Maleficent finds them. Right. Well, Maleficent's crow? Raven? I'm not sure. I'm going to call it a raven because it sounds more magical. The difference is, to the best of my knowledge, in the beak. They're they're bigger. Ravens are bigger than uh, crows, I believe. The beak color is different, too. I think ravens have black beaks and crows have orange beaks, but that could be wrong. I could be pulling all of that out of my ass. I don't know, then. I think they're Animated crows all have orange beaks. Do they? (laughs) Okay. Not not that animation is what we should be using (laughs) as a metric here or anything. I'm pretty sure every crow I've ever seen had black beak, unless we only have ravens, but I'm pretty sure it's a size thing. I think ravens are, like, substantially bigger. It is size thing, but there's also something about the curve of the beak or the... I I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) It's fine. We'll go with raven. If you're a crow expert... Or please a raven expert, please give us a call. call us. <laughs> What's our phone number? 402-885-4875. Thank you. <laughs> Tell there us about. Give us a, give us a call and let us know about the difference between crows and ravens because we <laughs> want to know. The crow then sees raven, whatever, sees the magic coming out of the cottage. Which is indeed the part that my kids all go gaga over yeah, when too. It it's just out yeah, of, like, when it's all poofing out. And the, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we end up. Let's see. So Aurora is supposed to go back to the castle. I would like to mention. I don't understand why they're having this birthday party for her on her birthday. Why not just, like, wait, wait a day? day. <laughs> wait, wait a, a day. fucking day. One I, day. I don't just get it one either. day. <laughs> I'm going to assume that because we made it this far, our, uh, that we're going, well, we're, we must be safe now. There's no spinning wheels like, in oh, the castle to- anywhere. There's nothing that can be done here. <laughs> Just wait like 12 more hours. 
24 <laughs> tops. I, I, I don't get it either. I don't get it either. Although, we haven't talked about the spinning wheels yet. So, since we're here, let's talk about spinning wheels. Okay. Did you know the story behind the spinning wheel appears in mythology all over the fucking place? Like the story of somebody pricking themselves on it and falling asleep? Well... Or they're just very... In mythology. They're very in mythology. Because I just finished reading Circe, Mm -hmm. which is all about mythology, and Uh, also a spinning wheel. The Madeline Miller? Yeah. Yeah, that's on my list. I have not done that yet, but I hear good things about it. So, we'll start, I guess, not that this is a fun story at all, but with Lucretia who was, this is a Roman myth about, Lucretia was the wife of, um, let me see, Lucius Tarquinius, I guess. And he- Is this Greek? No, Rome. Rome. This is late Rome, this is um, I guess 500 BC. So early Rome. Um, and the story goes basically that a bunch of men on the battlefield were talking about whose wives were the most upright, right? Like, we're, we're, we're a bunch of fucking dudes on a battlefield and they're comparing their wives because that's I guess what guys on a battlefield because I guess that's what guys on a battlefield have to do. They're comparing their wives. Legend goes that <clears throat> that Lucretia was to be the most upstanding of them all and was. While all the other men were away, all the other wives were having parties and spending the money frivolously, you know, doing all those terrible, non-womanly-like things <laughs> that women do when they're given access to men's money. I'm sorry. I'm kind of frothing at the mouth here a little bit. I realize this. It just gets worse, though, guys, because Lucretia, she was at home with her spinning wheel and one fucking candle... <laughs> spinning the wool for the household at large. Somehow, the men in their, I don't know, dick measuring contest that's going on about the wives here get it in their head that they need to go home and see. And in fact, Lucretia is at home with her fucking spinning wheel and one fucking candle, making her the envy of all of the other Roman soldiers at large, right? Well, so much so that she's raped by Tarquin, who was, I guess, prince at the time. I, I don't know. This one's, this one's 500 BC, so the legend is at this point pretty mysterious. But basically, Lucretia was raped, and 
this all has to do with the spinning wheel in some way because, man, I really wish my husband was here because he could tell this story so much better <laughs> than I can. Like, I'm getting it secondhand and I'm trying to remember what was going on from the Wikipedia page and that's not working for me. But basically, her uprightness led to her rape and then the assassination of her husband and then the eventual takeover of the Kingdom of Rome all because she was the one good Roman woman on her fucking spinning wheel with the one fucking candle. Like... Spinning wheels, am I right? Spinning Downfall wheels. Downfall of civilization. Right, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> so... <laughs> we get more into the spinning wheel myth um, with the fates who are all over ancient culture, but specifically Greek and Norse. Um, the fates had a spinning wheel that they use. Uh, so this one is probably Norse mythology. There were three fates who spun... I thought they were Greek. Mythology. No, because... Well, the fates are all over the place, okay. but in this particular case... Oh, this the, story. Yeah, this story, the tree of... Fuck, I always pronounce it incorrectly. <laughs> Yadrasil, I, I think. Know. You got me. The world tree, yes. right? In North, Norse mythology. And the fates were... The only Norse mythology uh, complicated word I can say is Molnar. Well done. Well done. Yeah, they're all it's it's all these letters that I look at. There's and go, extra in like not I enough got vowels. It. Right. Too many vowels. No, and it's the consonants that you're not pronouncing <laughs> that really cause me problems. Because here, I think it is it's Yadrassel, but there's G's there. Of course. The world tree. Anyway, the fates, um, in Norse, I believe they were also called the Norns, and they sit at the roots of the world tree with their spinning wheels and spin out future. Yeah, so that, the fates do that mm -hmm. in all the mythology. Mm -hmm. They all have like a Yeah, there's, a there's fates the in future. a lot of them, yeah. and for most of them, that does involve the <laughs> spinning wheels. So that's where that particular bit of history um let's see we have a bunch of rumple stiltskin there you go <laughs> spinning wheel um we have venus Demo uh, the roman goddess had a spinning wheel story um yeah just all over the place we have spinning wheels so i think the point here is that Spinning wheels are representative They're like of an archetype. The good woman, right? Yeah. Of of the woman who stays at home, your your traditional proverbs woman, right? The 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 woman made of rubies. If we're going to go biblical here. Spinning wheels are representative of the woman who stays at home and maintains her household, which is why I think the legend of Maleficent then is the antithesis of that, right? So Cinderella is going to prick her finger on the spindle of the sleep of, of the spinning wheel because she's a 
good woman. Whereas I'm catching what you're throwing. Maleficent is not. Yeah. She is the opposite <laughs> of the good woman because okay. she's not at home with the fucking spinning wheel. That is ultimately, I think, the archetype that we were maybe not doing a good job of in 1959 displaying but i do think there are some indications of it so finally we get to the castle we've got um the party is about to start we have um prince philip and his father talking about how he's going to marry the forest girl. We have the forest girl being dragged to the party because she's a princess and has to get married And just now. found out. Yeah, that was fun, <laughs> wasn't it? Ultimately, we end up, I think, in this place where nobody's really happy to be there. Right. And... But... It's one of those things where if people just talk to each other, it would be figured out in like five minutes. Right? It probably It's like would. a Seinfeld It plot. probably would. <laughs> a Seinfeld plot is kind of Oh accurate. my god, this movie is absolutely a Seinfeld plot. <laughs> Maleficent, the whole thing starts because Maleficent doesn't get invited to a christening. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it should have been a Seinfeld plot. And then plot, like we have all this honest. drama in the third act because Nobody's talking to each other to right. figure out that they know this. Hey, guess what, Philip? This peasant girl is actually the girl you are betrothed to. Just talk to somebody. Just talk to somebody. But Predictably, then, Maleficent <laughs> manages to lure Aurora off. where Which she, is, like, such a creepy sequence. It is kind of a, a difficult sequence. But it's, I love creepy Disney. Creepy like, Disney is fun. Yes. It, like, it, the Black Cauldron mm -hmm. or, like... Haunted Mansion's my absolute, like, absolute favorite ride in Disney. And it's, like, really good, creepy Disney. There's good stuff, like, in the Sword and Stone, too, where we've got that whole battle between Arthur and Need more creepy Merlin Disney. and what's-her-name. Yeah, yeah. Next Morwen. Halloween. Morwen, yes. We need more Next of Next Halloween, those. let's do Creepy Disney Month. Sounds like a plan. I'm We're going to have to wait that. a year. <laughs> so we end up with Aurora unconscious, as predicted. The fairies have to put everybody else to sleep. And they... They're very conscious about how they do it. They do, mm -hmm. like, put out every candle and every fire. So then after... Um, the castle is changed. Put to sleep. M right. Maleficent comes back and kidnaps Philip. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then we end up with the fairies. So, I will say this. The fairies have a lot of agency. They do. They really... They're fully developed characters. Mm-hmm. They are... Women who do things in their own right, right. without a Any man. Men. Yeah. But I wonder, too, if that would have been acceptable if they were women and not fairies. fairies. Yeah, if they were just women. Right. Or even just, like, 
witchy women. Right. There's mm-hmm. making them fairies while, again, they have a great deal of agency as characters and mm-hmm. as women, but they're fairies. So they're not women. They're beyond women. They're a mm-hmm. different kind of woman, perhaps, but they're not... Right. I don't know. It's tough because at least they're representative of what women are capable of. Right. And I think that they do a really good job allowing the fairies to save the day. Because in a very real sense, they do. I mean... Right. From, like, from the beginning where they change the curse. Right. To putting everybody to sleep. To even just blowing out all the candles and fires. But then... Don't forget raising Aurora, too. I mean, they raise her. They protect her for 16 years. Yeah. But, like, everything Philip does... Is a direct result of the gifts they've given him. They they are there. Like, they are Uh directly affecting how he does what he does. So we have the whole chase scene where... Or, I guess, fight scene. It's not really a chase scene. It's it's a fight scene between Maleficent and Philip as sh- he's escaping. Mm-hmm. And then as he goes, she turns into the dragon. Okay, I, I must have glazed over. Tell me what happens here at the end. She is, she's telling him about how Aurora is going to sleep for like hundreds and hundreds of years and he, or hundreds of years and he's going to like fight her and he's going to be like this old man and he's going to walk up and be like decrepit by the time he can get out of like the dungeon she's going to put him in. So the fairies come and get him out. Um, They give him the sword and there's like the whole chase out of her castle um, characters you totally forget are even in this movie. Like, Maleficent has gremlin minions. Right. Minions. <laughs> minions is a good word for them here, um, I feel. They're not in it much, but there they are. And they chase. And they... So, like, the whole scene, he's on the horse, and, like, she's chasing him, and there's the thorns, and... Eventually, he stabs her with, like, the enchanted um, sword that he the fairies He throws it, him. according yeah. to my notes here. He right, throws yeah. it straight into her heart, and she falls to her death. And then we have the kiss scene, <clears throat> which I'm rolling my eyes at because, yes, I'm rolling <laughs> my eyes at it. I, I got nothing. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> obviously this is problematic like the whole idea of it I don't even know like what can we even say I don't know I don't know I mean Aurora is like a nothing character no she... <laughs> and 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 she's not just not a nothing character she I mean she's an idea of a character for convenience of a story I yeah. don't know it... Like, there's nothing about her that's remarkable, or, I mean... Except her dress, but that's not her. And her red, (laughs) red lips, right? Blonde (laughs) hair and red, red lips, because she's pretty, because, of course, that was the first... 
first thing wished to her, and that's the most important thing. Oh, and she can sing, because, you know, that's that's something our future queens definitely need to be able to right. do. They need to be able to sing our enemies into submission. Well, I will say that being raised as a peasant will probably benefit her as a queen. Oh, probably. Right. We just don't get but to see we're never going to get to know. We're never going to get to know that <laughs> Aurora never, has thoughts or right. like of any kind. I mean, she is she's she's a pants if ever there was a pants. Absolutely. Like the epitome of your description of that. There is nothing to Aurora. There is nothing to her and worse we are, she's an infant, and then she's in love with some man she met three minutes ago. So there's nothing. There's literally nothing yeah. to her. I. And again, we're talking about, it really needs to be stated here, a 16-year-old girl. And I realize we're talking about royalty, and we're talking about a different time, fairy tales, 59, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't fucking matter. She's a fucking teenager that we're right. marrying off as an idea. I just... I can't... <laughs> be satisfied with this mm -hmm. story in any way, shape, or form. But it is a beautiful film. Mm -hmm. I have to give it to you. It's so well it done. It is a beautiful film. And when they're film. dancing at the end and they like go up and it's the sky and it's just very pretty. <laughs> but meaningless. And I wonder, I don't want to. <laughs> go back and do the same thing with like Sleeping Beauty or with uh, um, Snow White or Cinderella. I'm wondering if we would have as much problem with it or if it's just that this film is uniquely problematic. Oh no, they're all problematic in their own way. But this one, but more this so one because is, they're, mm -hmm. the character has no agency. I mean, She's nothing. No, she's literally nothing. And and you mentioned Snow White and Cinderella, which I think are the appropriate comparisons. They're absolutely to make the here. contemporaries. They're her contemporaries. But the thing is, is that Snow White is a woman of agency. She flees an abusive stepmother. She goes and lives in the woods. She takes care of these seven surly little men. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I mean, she builds a life for herself. For a Disney movie at the time, that was a pretty radical thing to right. do. If we look at uh, Cinderella, she, here is another woman with agency. It, it's tough to say that given the circumstances of Cinderella's life. Right. But the and fact of the matter is, is that she does have agency. Because even as a relative slave in her own home, she chooses her circumstances. Mm -hmm. She chooses how she views her reality. She chooses to have the attitude that she has, which is ultimately what allows her to leave that life and... Right become something better so i guess then i to say that our biggest issue with this movie isn't that it's a romantic fairy tale mm -mm. fantasy it's that 
Aurora is nothing. Aurora is nothing and not allowed to be anything. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I don't know how to reconcile her lack of humanity as valuable, right? I guess the only, like, the thing that I would say speaks well for her ability to lead a kingdom is that she was raised without knowing she was a princess. We don't get any of that. This is all just inferring from, like, what there is and trying to make something of this movie. But the fact that she was raised as a peasant will theoretically right. be interesting. But we don't ever get to see that. <laughs> and because we don't get to see right. that, I'm just like... It's only an hour and 16 minute movie. Right. <laughs> but That's, I don't even know if that can be considered feature length in this day and age. I in think this day and age? No, I don't I think, think that, that it would be. I think that there's a cutoff. Mm-hmm. I think you, it has to be longer than that. I think it's 90 I was going to say, I thought it was 90 minutes. I think that it's 90 minutes to qualify for Oscar standards. Now, not that that's the gold standard in anything, particularly since the animated didn't even make a return until, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, I didn't even check anything about Academy Awards with this Mm -hmm. because it was There was no point. But what I do know is that we're left with... An Aurora dancing in the clouds with her betrothed. So Mm -hmm. there's nothing to suggest that her future will be anything different than that of the married-off princess who is required to bear heirs, and that's the end of her story. Mm -hmm. That's, That's what I'm left with, is that even if there is the potential for there to have been something more, there's not something more. And all I can walk away with is that there won't be something more, which is particularly depressing if we're talking about little girls watching right. this film. I don't know what they learn. It's a tough question to ask, but I don't know. Hopefully they take more away from like the fairies and Maleficent since they're in the film more than Aurora. And that's exactly is. the thing. I mean, do you know any little girls who are big Sleeping Beauty fans? I don't. I don't either. I, I know don't. people my age. But I don't. And here's the thing. I don't recall there being a lot of little girls when we were young who were huge Sleeping Beauty fans either. I remember there being a lot of, my God, in 1989, everybody I knew was fucking Ariel for Halloween. Yeah. But... There again, we're talking about a character with some agency. Right. And even without Ariel, that movie is full of women with mm-hmm. agency. Ursula is a fantastic villain mm-hmm. who has, you know, wonderful ideas of badness so, and evil. And, you know, it's great. Thinking about it of little girls in, like, today's day and age, there's a ton of them who are, like, aware of Maleficent because of the movies, because of the Descendants. She's in that, too. Um, So I think little, like, contemporary little girls only know Maleficent. And I think, honestly, 
I'm kind of okay yeah. with that. Yeah. It's 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 interesting for me to say that, but I would almost rather they model themselves around after this villain mm-hmm. than after this pants. Right. Yeah. So She's nothing. <laughs> she, she's not, and it's really it's it's difficult to articulate why that's. I mean. No, it's not difficult to articulate why that's a problem, but it is difficult to see that it still exists even as we move forward. Mm -hmm. This story is iconic and will continue to be so. Now we've just... I I just don't think anybody watches this movie and wants to be Aurora. No, I don't think so. I just want to wear her dress. But there you go. She (laughs) does have a pretty dress. (laughs) All right, guys. Um, I, I got no blubber abilities. It. No. No, I got no blubber abilities because no. this one just made me mad. Well, there wasn't enough time to get blubber about <laughs> anything. There was no story. Even if there was, I just... I you know, know, there totally could have been with the king and queen, like, debating the whole, like, sending our child to go live with oh, the sure. for 16 years. But, but we never went we that deep that. into the emotion nope, of the they story. Just went. No. They just went. Um, and, and, you know, to, like, call back to Tangled, for instance, mm-hmm. there's a film where the daughter was away for 16 years, right? And there were... We oh, talk, my God. We talked God. about it in our episode. Without even saying a word, they convey. Because they don't speak at all. Right. But I am heartbroken for them to have to and again you're not wrong that could have absolutely been the case here having to send their daughter away it was not it was not even really a consideration because 1959 right i guess that's what we did we put them in baskets float them down the river (laughs) i think that was before 1959 oh okay okay Um, in terms of age, this one is probably pretty universal. I, I think it's fine, but weirdly, my kid's afraid of it. Well, your kid <laughs> is weird and I has... Think it's dark. It's dark. He does have... He really has an aversion to some of the darker storylines. Yeah. yeah, we won't be watching The Dark Crystal anytime soon. Or The Rescuers yeah, or any of those. Too. No, I don't think you're <laughs> going to be doing... very empathetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and I understand. My eight-year-old has a hard time with those kinds of storylines, yeah. too. And I don't think... I w- <sighs> the other two liked this one. I think he went upstairs and played on his tablet <laughs> right. both times that I was watching this one. Which is, f- I mean, fine. I don't require their presence while right. I am screening the movies Just for the like podcast. Just like they don't require your presence when they're <laughs> watching the movies. Correct. But... <laughs> I do kind of like to use it as a relative judge yeah. of w- will this will this movie go over for this right. age group? So the eight year old boy bracket, this is a no go, and I don't know if it's a no go because it's princesses or because it's dark or it's just because it's, like it's barely princesses. I feel like it, it really know. is not very princessy. <laughs> the two year old absolutely loved all yeah. of the scenes with the magic and the. Cr- and all of the like it was great he was very excited to watch this movie with mommy three times (laughs) so i guess i would say as long as you're you're not worried about your kid picking up like awful ideals of like what women should be doing which you know 
Again, <laughs> we use these movies, and in my house, we use them very deliberately it, to have those kinds of conversations. Sure, right. Do you think that behavior is appropriate? Mm-hmm. How would you have acted in that situation? Right. What would you have done instead if that character was you? Those are... And kids know. This is... There was an article in the New York Times recently talking about how The Giving Tree is a terrible book and parents should stop reading it to their children. And I'm like, hang on a minute. I feel like we're maybe not reading the same book here because I've always used this book as a conversation about boundaries. Okay. Because kids know what happens to the tree is fucking wrong. Okay. Kids know that the giving tree is not the right you shouldn't kind be the giving of tree. giving. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And when I've had that conversation with my children... They say she should have said no. Okay. They say she should, and I'll ask, even if the even if the boy was sad, and they say yes, because there's no more of her. Mm-hmm. Kids understand right. boundaries in a real way. You have to give them more credit way. than we do a lot of the time. Right. And I think that that book was honestly probably written deliberately to teach boundaries. It's Shel Silverstein, right? right. I'm Come sure Come on, was. man! <laughs> Come on! He's not really known as, like, a sappy No! Author, right? I think people are misreading that book and not having the conversation with their kids that they should be having. Right. And the same is true here. With these movies, with so many of these movies, I use them as a way to have a conversation with the kids about what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. Is it age appropriate? Yeah, because at every age, there are different conversations to be right. had. Right. And there's nothing in this movie that's going to, like, scar your four-year-old. No. <laughs> Will they like it? I don't know. Will they be afraid? Perhaps. But, but not like Dark Crystal afraid. No. and Or like is... Return to Oz afraid. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> man scarred for life we all from are. that movie. We all Holy are. shit. <laughs> I will never not remember that movie. Right. Oh this my movie is God. probably not going to scar not kid for life. This is not Return from Oz level. <laughs> Um, Halloween costumes, all of these are appropriate. Pink or blue, although clearly, Sarah Vers, you wear blue. Blue. I'm ride or die for blue. I I feel you on that. (laughs) Honestly, she looked better in the blue. She does. It just, it's more flattering to her complexion. It it is. (laughs) And those rose red lips, baby. Right. They get lost with the pink. All right. But out of five, baby. Come on. I'm, I have to give it at least a three because it's just so pretty. Okay. I'll take your three and I'll see you uh, one and a half. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, I tried. I tried I so hard. And that one and a half is going to be entirely on the visual elements of yeah. this movie. I can't like the music because I had to sing it and it's horrible. But the visual elements of this movie are spectacular. Yeah. And it was remarkably well done. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is. Um, I believe at Disneyland. So Disneyland's castle is Sleeping Beauty Castle. Mm-hmm. 
And inside, they have um, mosaics of this movie, like in mosaic tile, and they're beautiful. So I went to Disneyland. I want to say I was nine or ten years old. I do not remember that going part's into been the open castle. And closed. Like there's been stretches where you can't go in. Okay, castle. so I may just not have been yeah. able to go into the castle. I, I do not say remember. They just recently reopened it with like in the last ten years, but I, I'm not an expert on Disneyland, so I can't say. But now I want to go back. So I it's Disneyland. It's gonna have to be on my list. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's it. Um, we have a bunch of links that will be in the show notes. I'll include all of my um, old-time history notes about <laughs> the Norns and Lucretia and the mythology. We've got a bunch of stuff about um, internet stuff that's been going on lately. This one's going to be a fun one. Um, you can... Call us if we've made any errors, or you want to tell us about crows and or ravens. Please call us about crows and ravens. Please do. It's 402-885-4875. I think they're called, like, corvids or something like that. They are. That is, because they're related. But there is a clear and distinct difference between crows and ravens, and off the top of my head, I can't tell you what it is. Somebody knows. Somebody Maybe knows. Lots of people know. I'm sure we're <laughs> just, yeah, this is, no, it's fine. <laughs> you can find us at Latchkey Movies. Um, are we just focusing on Instagram and Facebook now? Is that really all we're caring yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, let's just, we, we own the, the Twitter. We do own we the don't. Twitter, but we don't do anything there because Twitter is We accessible. own the Twitter, but we don't own the twitter no because nobody <laughs> owns the twitter even the twitter people don't own the twitter <laughs> all right guys um let's see this week i'm gonna beg you to tell a friend tell a friend tell a friend how much you enjoyed listening to us talk about sleeping beauty and old people who have been dead for decades <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> historical mythology that you have absolutely no interest in. Come but, on. I know you know somebody who would be down for this. But we did somehow manage to relate this to a Seinfeld episode. Well, that makes everything worth it, right? <laughs> so give us some credit. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>